Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. Five people died of drug overdoses last month. That is according to the Halliburton-Kawartha Pine Ridge District Health Unit. In 2021, 28 people died. That's more than double what it was only two years ago. Northumberland County has more suspected cases of drug overdoses than anywhere else in the health unit's coverage area. If you ask Dr. Natalie Bocking, the Chief Medical Officer of Health, she will tell you it is a crisis. Many would agree. The health unit's support of a harm reduction approach to the crisis has politicians upset. Earlier this week, Bocking was in front of county council explaining the health unit's position. As councillors vented their frustration, Port Hope Mayor Olana Hankovinsky was the only member of county council to try to take concrete steps during the presentation. She offered to seek the support of her council to help jumpstart a drug strategy with the health unit. In today's interview, you will hear Dr. Bocking explain the health unit's position. As well, she will address much of the misinformation and disinformation being spread by politicians and the public about harm reduction, overdose prevention sites, and what can and cannot be done. I'm so pleased to have with me today Dr. Natalie Bocking, Chief Medical Officer for the Halliburton-Kawartha Pine Ridge District Health Unit. Welcome back to Consider This. Thanks very much for having me. Let's get right to it. In the dealing with the local opioid crisis, there are a lot of moving parts. There are the police, there are mental health services, the hospital, so on and so forth. What role does the health unit play in addressing the use of opioids and other illegal drugs within Northumberland County? Uh, thanks for that question. So as you've, as you've pointed out, this is a complex issue uh, that doesn't have one solution to it. Um, historically, uh, organizations have approached the harmful use of substances in terms of the four pillar approach. And those four pillars include prevention, treatment, harm reduction, and community safety, which is also sometimes referred to as, as enforcement. So health units specifically, our work lies in the areas of prevention, and in the area of harm reduction. So when I think about prevention, uh, we're talking about upstream things. We're talking about parenting supports, school health programs, uh, broader community health promotion, health education related to decreasing stigma, this sort of thing. And then when we talk about harm reduction, there's a whole suite of different uh, programs and practices uh, that we promote and we also are responsible for delivering. So this includes uh, needle distribution programs and services, uh, ensuring that there are uh, locations to return uh, used needles, the naloxone distribution program. 
we also have a, a role in terms of surveillance, so data collection. And on our website, we have a, a data dashboard that speaks to the number of overdose presentations at emergency departments uh, to give us a sense of whether or not there's um, uh, anything increasing. Do we need to be worried about what's in the drug supply so we can issue alerts and warnings to the communities uh, or any other changes? Uh, and then the last role I'll flag related to the health unit's role is in supporting uh, community uh, coalitions and in supporting uh, bringing different sectors together to have a coordinated response. Uh, again, that we know that there's not one solution to this problem, uh, but it's nice to, or it's more effective certainly to bring all of our groups together to be working towards one shared goal. On your website, it says that the health unit promotes harm reduction programs and services. Now you've talked a bit about, about how that works, but one of the areas that you spoke about is education. That is making people aware of harm reduction efforts within the county. Can you be more specific and talk about what that entails? So we have, uh, I mean, when we talk about education, there's multiple different, I think, audiences to education. And we can talk about very specific targeted education, which might, for example, uh, occur with uh, community groups if we're asked to come and present to community groups. If we talk about uh, substance awareness uh, in terms of education in the school setting, uh, when we talk about uh, awareness related for education staff, when we talk about awareness for uh, our uh, partner municipalities, uh, and then we talk about general education. So in terms of our website and our social media uh, page where we might be sharing resources that people can access to learn more about harm reduction. Uh, we might share links to, um, to speakers or to other documents put out by other organizations that speak to uh, what harm reduction is and what the evidence is for harm reduction and why we support it. What about, though, helping to people to understand uh, the individuals involved, what's involved with addictions, um, how, as a community, we might be wanting to respond? What about that aspect of the education? Where does that fit in? Mm -hmm. I think we partner with many different organizations that are I think are well positioned to do some of that education. So for example, we partner with uh, PARN, the Peterborough Area, the sort of Peterborough um, AIDS Resource Network to, to that actually works directly with individuals uh, and works with the community groups uh, involved in supporting those individuals. Public health uh, often takes a, a, a bigger picture population lens. So we're, we're looking less at the individuals and more at the overall uh, population and then groups within the population and specifically those groups facing uh, health inequities. And we know certainly that the community uh, that faces challenges related to harmful substance use uh, experiences many health inequities. Uh, so we'd be looking at uh, broader population groups and less about the individual. That being said, I think that we know that individual stories and experiences are often very effective at, um, at uh, sharing with people uh, the real experience of what harmful substance use is like and what the, the real solutions are to be able to support, to support them 
in, uh, in their journey. The health unit offers free naloxone kits and needle exchange program. You mentioned that earlier in our conversation. First of all, for those who may not know, what is a naloxone kit and how does it help? So naloxone is a medication that will temporarily reverse the effects of opioids. So opioids are a type of drug, uh, you can think about morphine, uh, codeine, oxycodone, fentanyl, they're all part of a family of medications called opioids. And if you take too much of an opioid, it can cause you to, to stop breathing or your, your breathing to become much slower, your heart rate to get slower. Uh, and certainly if there's too much of it, it can cause death, it can cause you to stop breathing. So naloxone is a medication, almost like an antidote to opioids. Uh, you'll see it used in hospital if somebody receives too much of an opioid medication. Uh, and if for individuals that might be using opioids as street drugs, then naloxone is a medication we can use to prevent them from dying from overdose. How hard is it to use a naloxone kit? Do you have to be specially trained to, to use one? So we, we offer training, uh, and uh, the majority of naloxone kits that are currently available is what we call intranasal naloxone. So it's a spray that goes in the nose. Uh, very easy to use. Uh, individuals, if it's being given to an individual, um, you know, they might receive a, a few minutes of training if it's in a short interaction, or you can go to broader uh, courses on how to use naloxone, but does not require extensive training to use naloxone. Now, what is a needle exchange program? And again, how does it help? Uh, needle, and I often refer to it as needle distribution programs because essentially these are programs that are providing sterile equipment. So that could be the needle itself. It could be um, inhalation equipment. So uh, the equipment needed to uh, inhale drugs. It could be the equipment used to help filter drugs. Any of the pieces of, of equipment that somebody might be using to prepare their drugs and then ingest, inhale, inject their drugs uh, so that it's sterile. Um, and the key that there's many benefits of that. We know uh, it certainly can prevent bacterial infections for the person that's actually using the drug, but it can also prevent the spread of bloodborne infections uh, such as HIV and hepatitis C. So the point of that program is that uh, people that use drugs will have sterile equipment. Uh, so that uh, it's promoting their health and ensuring that we're not spreading any potential infections between people that might be sharing equipment. The other part of that program is that there's an opportunity then to dispose of equipment in a sterile or in a sterile fashion so that it's not left around. The program does not require like a one-to-one -one exchange, whereas if we give you a needle, you have to send a needle back. Uh, we just want people to have sterile equipment at any time they might be using uh, substances. Some people might wonder that these efforts are actually encouraging people to use drugs, not dissuading them. How do you respond to this? So I think we can look at the evidence. Uh, and the evidence is that these programs globally have been in place for decades, and they have never been shown to either increase drug use, uh, to encourage drug use for people that are not currently using drugs, 
what we do know from the evidence is that they do decrease the spread of bloodborne infections uh, and uh, they help to keep those individuals uh, safe uh, and also often link them to other resources such as detox or treatment options. When you talk about the naloxone and the needle exchange, there's this feeling that we're giving the people the drugs or that they're injecting them or, or helping them take their drugs. Can you explain what actually takes place? I, 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 I'm just trying to get a clear picture in my mind, you know, how it might work just practically and whether or not there's this actual helping somebody take the drug. Mm -hmm. So harm reduction programs aim to decrease the harms associated with substance use. Uh, the programs, uh, so needle distribution programs, naloxone programs, uh, consumption services uh, such as supervised uh, consumption sites, they do not provide actual drugs or substances to individuals. Individuals will have gotten their substances from whatever means they would typically do to get those substances. Uh, and uh, certainly in the case of needle exchange programs or naloxone distribution programs, the individual might not be using in the presence of uh, where that program is. But in the case of consumption services or kind of um, supervised uh, consumption sites, then the individual uses their own substances at that site in the presence of another person uh, where that other person would be trained to give naloxone should they overdose. All right, which transitions nicely into the next topic I wanted to talk to you about, and that is the health unit's position on the current initiatives by local groups to offer an overdose prevention site. Where do you stand on this, and are you collaborating with this group? So we are not uh, formally collaborating with this group, uh, although I think it, what's important to know is that uh, groups that work directly with people that are using substances uh, are incredibly important uh, to inform the type of work that the health unit is doing and what that other health uh, services should be doing. Um, the, the health unit or the role of public health is to use data and evidence to protect health and promote health. We know that overdose prevention sites prevent death and other harms from substance use. And so certainly in principle, we support harm reduction initiatives and we uh, acknowledge it, that there's a very important role for uh, overdose prevention sites in preventing death and harms from substance use. You said you don't have a formal relationship. Can you define what it means to informally have a relationship? What's that mean? Uh, so good question. I mean, I would categorize informal as we would, uh, you know, we'd have conversations. We might have discussions with, uh, with the groups involved to learn from their experience. You know, what, what seems to be working well? What have the challenges been? Formal relationships would be ones that we might actually have an agreement with or that we might have, um, we might uh, officially provide supplies for or equipment for. 
Are you offering any training to any of the individuals? Are you offering advice? Um, are, are you doing that kind of work as well with them? Is it that kind of a thing? Or are you helping supply naloxone kits or uh, needles? Um, are you doing anything like that? I, so, so not to my knowledge. Um, uh, that being said, though, if the group needed sterile needles or supplies or naloxone kits, certainly uh, I, I think we would supply them or they might be accessing it through other partners that we supply to. Um, that we're providing naloxone kits and, and sterile needles for. We haven't been involved in uh, providing training to the to the individuals, but the health unit uh, is not typically involved in broad-based naloxone training. There's, again, other community partners and organizations that provide those types of supports. Do you endorse the overdose prevention site? I, I endorse overdose prevention sites as a key form of preventing overdose deaths. What about this group that's working in Coburg right now specifically? So I, I, I support them in principle. Um, I support uh, the public health approach to, to harm reduction. I don't know the individuals involved in, in organizing this initiative and we don't have a formal partnership uh, so I think it's difficult for me uh, in principle to say we endorse a specific initiative when we haven't been been involved with it uh, but I do know that there is good evidence and data from other overdose prevention sites in Canada uh, to support uh, that they have an important role to play in preventing overdose deaths. Many people, when they talk about this, will use the, the terminology illegal and unsanctioned. How do you feel about that approach? I would say it's not consistent with a public health approach to substances. Uh, and I would say that uh, it is not using the evidence that we know will work towards uh, supporting individuals with substances. We know that uh, approaching this from a legal standpoint uh, will not improve the situation. Uh, the Public Prosecution Service of Canada has said that they uh, are not charging people for simple possession. So the legal system and the uh, criminal justice system has said that uh, charging people for simple possession is not a way out of this crisis. It doesn't work. Uh, it's not getting at the root health issue. And as such, by focusing on whether these sites are illegal or sanctioned, uh, loses sight of the fact that uh, they're attempting to prevent overdose deaths. And at the root of this is a health issue and a public health issue. I'd like to move on and talk a bit about what happened at the county's social services committee. Were there any indications from the county members that sit on your board of health that it was concerned about the health unit's position on harm reduction? We have a relatively new board of health with several new municipal appointees. Uh, as part of their orientation to the health unit, they uh, received lots of information about the many programs and services that the health unit uh, provides. And so harm reduction would be one of those. Uh, I think it wouldn't be a surprise that the health unit supports 
a public health approach to substances. Uh, we are actually mandated and required in the Ontario provincial or Ontario public health standards to uh, work with partners to decrease harms associated with substance use. So not only is it evidence-based, but it, we're also mandated to, uh, to do that work. The Social Services Committee of Northumberland County Council leveled a number of criticisms about the health unit's position on overdose prevention sites. How do you respond to this criticism when you heard it? I think we fundamentally come back to what our our shared goal is, uh, and that is to that we're supporting individuals uh, to access treatment when they can and otherwise to help keep them healthy as best as we can. And I do think we have that shared goal. But the next step is how do we get to that goal? And there's many misunderstandings about what harm reduction is, uh, and we're always happy to have those discussions and conversations. So to me, I look at this as more of an opportunity to have these conversations. I'm glad people are asking questions because this is how we, we get to moving forward. Uh, and collaborating uh, for programs into the future. I agree. There's a lot that has been said, and there appears to be a lot of misinformation and disinformation being spread about harm reduction. What are the items you feel are most misunderstood that people need to know when talking about harm reduction? <laughs> so the... But one of the biggest ones, which you mentioned earlier in the program, is the uh, the misunderstanding that harm reduction enables substance use, that it's it's supporting a habit and letting people continue on in a certain way of life. Uh, and we know that that's not the case. Uh, providing people with sterile equipment so that they uh, don't get bloodborne infections is not enabling use. And preventing somebody from dying from an overdose is not enabling use. The second, uh, the second, I think, uh, misperception that's common is the idea that having harm reduction programs around will somehow increase the number of people in the community that are using substances uh, and increase the number of needles discarded. And it's actually the opposite that's true. We know that harm reduction programming, including uh, uh, supervised consumption sites, will actually decrease the number of discarded needles or discarded drug use equipment. Um, and it will likely decrease the number of individuals using in public places uh, because there's more linkages to healthcare and uh, and detox and treatment options. Uh, so I. I I think there's an, uh, often a bit of a gut reaction of fear. And if this is here, people will see it. More people will come and move here because we have this. But that's not the case. And certainly evidence from um, places internationally, Australia, from, from nationally, for example, in British Columbia, uh, have demonstrated the opposite. Does any of the politics that goes on in moments like this influence the health unit's position? I mean, would there be a scenario where the county could change the health unit's policy towards harm reduction? I No, as I mentioned before, uh, uh, harm reduction is written into the Ontario Public Health Standards. It's part of our requirements uh, that we, uh, we must do. Um, 
and, I, and I think further to that, um, we have a mandate and an ethical responsibility to ensure that we're supporting evidence-based programming uh, and, and policy development. Uh, so we, uh, our, our position, I mean, harm reduction has lots of evidence to support it. Uh, it's an important function. It's one of uh, a comprehensive way to approach uh, harmful use of substances. So harm reduction is not the only part of this puzzle, but it's certainly the part that gets a lot of conversations <laughs> and a lot of people interested in talking about it. When you look at the makeup of the Board of Health, uh, there are three members of the county that sit on that. And I guess the question then becomes, when they sit on that committee, is there any way they could be passing motions or trying to set policy or uh, uh, redirecting uh, the initiatives that you are trying to do in regards to harm reduction? So the role of the Board of Health is largely a governance role. So they're, they're charged with ensuring that the health unit uh, A is meeting the requirements under the Ontario Public Health Standards, uh, B, that they have hired uh, a medical officer of health, uh, and C, that the, operation, the, the organization is being run uh, responsibly, and including fiscally responsibly. Uh, they, the Board of Health certainly has a role in supporting supporting um, uh, uh, some advocacy efforts. And so you might see the Board of Health uh, endorse letters to be written to various levels of government. So there was a recent letter supported by the board related to food insecurity uh, and a living wage. Uh, but the board is not involved in internal policy development uh, or changing direction within the health unit. It sounds a lot like the police services board, where there's a body that sort of oversees everything in the budget, but, you know, the police chief's in charge of the operations. It, it sounds very much like that. They have all these uh, responsibilities, but, you know, you're in charge of how the uh, health units run and what gets done. Am I, am I understanding that correctly? Yes. Yeah, you're correct. All right. Does Northumberland County need a safe injection site? In other words, an approved legal place where people can go to safely use and be supported in their drug use? Well, that's an excellent question. Um, and the short answer is, I don't know at this point in time, right? I think that there are a number of things that we uh, can do to find an answer to that question. Um, so, uh, typically, what we would the first step would be a needs assessment and engaging with individuals that use substances to determine, you know, would they come to a site? Uh, what sort of services are needed? What are the numbers that we're looking at? In Ontario, the uh, approved consumption and treatment uh, sites are largely in populations of uh, supporting an area greater than 100,000 people. Uh, so Northumberland County, when we look at the larger cities, such as Coburg and Port Hope, doesn't have that same population size. But that doesn't mean that there's not um, other ways that we might be able to approach this, right? At one end of the spectrum is a fixed site consumption and treatment services like what we see in Peterborough with many resources attached to it. But for smaller, more rural areas, maybe smaller sites mobile sites. There's other options that we could look at along that spectrum to say what makes sense for our communities and what 
would the people that are impacted by substances um, like to see to support them? Okay, then now we're going to get into a semantic argument because safe injection sites are approved by Health Canada and therefore get tagged as they're legal. They follow the process and it's a lengthy process. Let's be honest. It's not going to happen tomorrow. Setting up some tents and having an overdose prevention site is dealing with the issue right this moment. Where do we go from here? So my first my first step with any complex problem like this is to to bring all the people the people that need to be involved to the table uh, to talk about where are we currently at, what do we need, where do we need to go, and then how do we get there. I think the challenge with this situation is that the the individuals most impacted by by substance use uh, have not historically been supported by communities. Uh, there's lots of stigma associated with substance use. Uh, harm reduction programming uh, and things like consumption treatment services are not well funded or supported. Uh, and so there's there's not as many reasons for people to engage in, in, this, in this more formal process. And so sometimes we do see then volunteer peer-based initiatives uh, that uh, that fill in gaps that might not be able to be filled by by the healthcare system. How then do we address the issue? Because if if we want to bring people to the table, that's been done before. We put people around the table. We talk about this at a, at a bureaucratic level all the time. This is not new for people like yourself or the police or mental health services or the hospital. You guys talk about this all the time. The question I, I, I have to ask is, what's going to get done at this juncture? What is going to get done that's going to be different so that people that are addicted are getting the help and support that they need at the same time easing the fears and concerns of everyday citizens? Mm -hmm. I, so I don't know that I, I can answer that with one solution uh, because there's, there's certainly the pieces that the health unit can play, but this is has to be a collaboration. This has to be working across sectors with partners and with the community. Well, when you look across the landscape then, who needs to step up? Who has to lead this effort if we're going to advance this discussion and something gets done? So I think some of the key organizations are our community-based partners, uh, with the health unit, our health. And so, for example, I, I see you coming to <laughs> leaning forward there. Of who, who are those partners? Uh, yeah, so partners like PARN. Uh, our Greenwood Coalition that do work already in this area. So how can so having them at the table, the health unit, the health sector, uh, such as the hospital, EMS, uh, police services, municipalities, uh, all of these organizations need to come together uh, to figure out a way forward. But if we're working in fear, we're working with misinformation. When people are talking about this as being illegal and needs to be stopped right now, how do we break the logjam so that we can advance this? Do you have any ideas around that? There's not a magic answer. I think I've, I think I've figured that out. Uh, other than sometimes this is 
having the same conversations over and over and over again. And that's okay. We'll continue to have those conversations um, because we do incrementally move forward. Uh, and we do need to have a sustainable approach, right? We don't want this to be having to reinvent the wheel every three to four years. We need something that will stick and that will move forward. Uh, there's certainly um, nationally when we think about more progressive policies related to, for example, decriminalization. So there are other things in the work, in the works kind of at a national level. It's taken decades to get to the point where we have funded consumption and treatment uh, sites. So in a slow moving world, perhaps we're making incremental improvements and, and moving there, but I know that that's not fast enough for the individuals that might be using currently and are at risk of overdose. Well, I have to think back, uh, back and reflect on the fact that, you know, you keep it, your health unit, not you, but your health unit keeps issuing uh, warnings about the drug supply. I know already this year there's been multiple releases for Northumberland warning people. So I guess it really comes down to, I mean, you, you're seeing this on, on one level, but are we, are we really getting the message? Is this really a crisis? So certainly provincially, this is a crisis and there are other areas that where people, I think all the players at the table have agreed that this is a crisis. I don't know that we've reached that point yet in Northumberland County that everybody kind of agrees that this is a crisis and we're ready to move forward. Uh, and I don't know how many alerts or, or warnings it will take. Uh, there's no threshold that says this number of overdose deaths is a crisis and less than that, it's not a crisis. Uh, because really we know that uh, that there's increased drug poisonings, that the drug supply is often contaminated, uh, and uh, that this this challenge is not going to go away. It's, uh, it's going to continue. Well, as the chief medical officer for Northumberland County, is this a crisis? So I would say that the drug poisoning um, across our region, I would say, is a crisis. I would say uh, the number of deaths uh, that we have seen in the past two years across Northumberland County, City of Corfe Lakes and Halliburton County uh, has has not been as high as COVID, uh, but has been has been approaching the number of deaths that we've seen from COVID. Uh, we have not uh, we don't have the same resources to put towards harm reduction as we do other illnesses, uh, and so it makes it very difficult to uh, respond to. Uh, a crisis that's not acknowledged to be a crisis across all the partners. From your perspective then, on a scale of one to 10, one being very little, 10 being extreme, how urgent is this? <laughs> that's a very, very challenging question. Uh, it's, uh, I'm not sure that I could ascribe a number uh, to it, but I would put it on the more urgent uh, side of things that requires uh, attention now and requires people to work collaboratively uh, to provide solutions. More than eight? <laughs> Ten was the worst, right? Yes. Yes, somewhere between eight, around eight is an excellent, uh, is a good ballpark number. Dr. Bocking, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Well, thanks for having me on the show.
That was Dr. Natalie Bocking, Chief Medical Officer for the Halliburton Kawartha Pine Ridge District Health Unit. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.